All right, Romans chapter 15, and uh, I'm not going to be super lengthy tonight, but we're going to continue on with this series. I thought about just scrapping the series until Easter was over, but I thought, no, Friday evening we're going we're to gather together and we'll all be on the same page at the same time in terms of where we are in terms of the Lord's passion and moving towards the cross, and so we'll talk about that there, but here, I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse number one. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Now, by the way, I didn't plan this this way, but do you know what that means? If somebody is not going to come to church because you're not wearing a mask, you know what you should do? Wear a mask. You know what that is? The strong bearing the infirmity of the weak. Okay. And so, uh, just understand, in this case, the strong... This was talking about those that didn't have uptight standards in their life like the Pharisees. Those were the strong ones. The weak ones were the ones that were laden down with rules and regulations in their life, thinking that somehow they had to have that in order to find some measure of acceptability with God. But my friends, I am not accepted by God, and you are not accepted by God, because you live to a moral code. We are accepted by God because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary, and the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are accepted in the Beloved, and that is Jesus Christ Himself. That's the one in whom we find our absolute acceptance. And so when you finally embrace that, you kind of move into the ranks of what the Apostle Paul would term as the strong. Okay, And what does that mean? That means you need to be patient with and love on and bear with the infirmities of those that haven't arrived at a position of strength with regard to what they consider to be doubtful things in their life. And so, uh, I think that we need to, to, to just understand, and that's not my message, but I thought, I saw that rabbit jump up, I thought I would shoot it before it got away, alright? And uh, anyhow, so we didn't go jumping down the bunny trail, I thought I would just take care of it right now, alright? <laughs> uh, but look, verse 2, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Now folks, listen. I know there are a lot of people that think, you know, bless God, you know, if you try, try to please everybody, you please nobody. Most of all, you're not going to please yourself, be unhappy all the time. What the Bible is teaching us here is this, that we cannot just live our lives for what pleases ourselves. Because we, we read in chapter 12 and verse number 7 that no man liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. But whether we live, therefore, or we die, we are the Lord. So, whether you like it or not, your life impacts someone else's life. People that become so depressed and discouraged that they feel like the only option available to them is to take their own life. Most of the time they become so pathetic in their spirits that they think that I am nonplus, nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, that the world will be better off without me in it. And I beg to differ with you on that point, no matter how you're feeling at your darkest moment. There is someone in this world that will mourn for you. 
First of all, your mother if she's living, right? Secondly, your father if he's living. Today I spoke to a man who had a a child outside of wedlock many years ago. And a young person looked him up recently. And they, they, they were united. It was a wonderful reunion. And that very week, while that young person was visiting the father they never knew, they were shot and killed in the streets of South Phoenix. And I'm going to tell you something. There were a world of people that mourned that child's death. There are people that didn't even know him that are mourning it now. The fact is that your life impacts other people's lives. And you have a duty to live your life as the Lord did, who, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 1, He pleased not Himself. But He took our reproaches upon Himself. And now we're not to live our lives simply for what pleases us. And let me just tell you this. When you're tempted because you're tired or you sort of think you feel like you might be coming down with a headache and you you decide, I'm just going to stay home tonight, you stop for a minute and understand that there is someone that is desperate for some love and attention, desperate for someone to just act like they have value in this world. And they find it from you because you smile at them and you hug them and you shake their hand and you engage them in conversation and you might be the only one in the world that does. And when you're not here, they go home disappointed and you don't know it. And they may never get over it. I'm going to tell you, there was a lot of, time, a lot of times where I went to church during a, a period of time, I, I, I was living alone and, and I, 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 I had children I was trying to take care of and bills I was trying to pay. And I lived 52 miles from my church. R- Renee knows what that feels like. They lived about that distance when they were in Whitman. And it, was, it, it sometimes took me two or three hours to drive one way to church on a Wednesday night if I could make it. And I went. You know why? I was desperately lonely and I wanted just to see a friendly face I can't tell you how many nights I was I was stuck in gridlock on 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 the 91 freeway in Southern California you guys know you've you've been stuck in on that freeway too and you know an accident would back everything up for miles and you'd sit and sit and sit and sit And I can remember many nights sitting for a couple of hours and looking at the clock and thinking, I'm not going to make it. No way. If it opened up right now, I wouldn't get there until it was done. You know, and call my pastor on the cell phone and say, Pastor, I'm so sorry. I'm sitting on the 91 in gridlock and I've been trying to get there for two hours and I'm I'm not any closer. I get off the freeway and eat a hamburger and sit there and cry in a Dr. Pepper and wish I had somebody to talk to. Many times I got to church 
And after a Sunday morning service, I'd talk to everybody in the foyer and talk to everybody standing outside in the entryway and I'd shake everybody's hands and I'd stand there and I'd watch everybody drive out of the parking lot and I'd be the last one there. They would all go to their homes and go away to Denny's to have something to eat. Nobody stopped to say, hey, why don't you join us? Many times I wanted to ask them, come to join me, but I lived an hour's drive away and I was flat broke. And I cannot tell you how much it meant to me when I got there. And there were some that gave me a hug or a handshake and said, let's get a cup of coffee. Here's my card. Give me a call this week. We'll get together for lunch. There are a lot of people that I know who through this year have teetered at the point of absolute despair. I could give you the names of a half a dozen people that you would never imagine who thought of taking their own life because of the loneliness that they were dealing with. And people get wrapped up in the little cocoon of their security at home and their little family and all of their latent fears about health issues while people are molting and withering away in their fears, anxiety, and depression. And we just don't give a rip. Because if we did, you know what? We'd come to church not just so that we could get a blessing from the pastor, but so that we could be a blessing to one of those people I just talked about. Look, one of my favorite hymns in the book is called Make Me a Blessing. You know, I, I want that to be my prayer every day. Everywhere I go, I, I want to say something that's going to make somebody's day. I want to uplift them. I've been going to physical therapy, and I, I, I want to be known as someone that the other the people that are in that therapy clinic want to treat they 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 want to vie for who's going to who's going to get Mr. Chapel today right and so you know what I, I try to learn their names I, I try to lift them up i was laying on therapy table by myself this morning doing some stretching that they gave me to do and and a and a lady probably in her 70s she came over to the table beside me and there was a one of the lady therapists that was there and, uh, and I looked over at her and I said, I see they gave you the best therapist in the house today. Well, that therapist lit up like Christmas. She turned around, she smiled, she said, thank you. I said, I only said it because it was true. And the little old lady patted her and said, I know it, she's the best, isn't she? I said, you know, I think they're all pretty good. You know, they all just are looking and listening and, and swelling up. And you know what? So when they come over, they want to engage. You know what it opened the door for me to do? To say, listen, if you're not obligated on Sunday, that's Easter. And you guys know I'm a pastor. We'd sure love to to have you come and visit Freeway Baptist Church. On any given time, Mark, you know, you go there at 9 o'clock on any given weekday, there's 60 or 70 people in there at one time. It's like going to the gym, only torture. 
Do you know what I'm saying? But there's that many, it's like there's that many people there. Do you know what I'm saying? And, but, but, but all I'm saying to you is this, look. I could go there and say, I don't feel good. I have a headache. I'm stiff and sore everywhere. And, you know, they're inflicting pain upon me. I don't want to talk, you know. But I'm not just there for me. You say, well, you're there to get therapy. They're supposed to work on you. They're supposed to help you, not you, them. Who said? Where's that written down? That's why the Bible says, look, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Edification means to build him up. And look, for even Christ pleased not Himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. So He took our reproaches. He didn't come down to this earth because He, he, he thought that that was going to be pleasant. He knew that it wouldn't be. And so, as we, as we bear that in mind, verse 4 says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation, that means encouragement, grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been talking about giving God the glory in the church. We've talked about a number of ways in which the church is called to bring Him glory. We've looked at Ephesians 3 and verse 20 and realized that God's plan for the church in every age, a world without end, is that we should Give Him glory. Now unto Him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. And if that wasn't enough, He just sealed it by saying, Amen, period. Right? End of discussion. God's plan is that we bring Him glory. And I would submit to you that God desires for you as a member of the body of Christ in particular, to give Him glory through your speech. Through what you say. Through what you say. I like what the Bible tells us in Psalm 19.14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I don't know if you're like me, but every once in a while I'll be driving down the, the road and I think I'm the only one on it that knows how to drive it. Right? Have you ever felt like that? And you feel like everybody on this road this morning is an idiot, right? Sometimes we don't tell them that that's what they are. We're just sitting there thinking it. 
And then we meditate upon it. You know, we, we walk in the office and we say, man, there are, I don't know how any of these people got a driver's license. You know, they must have paid the inspector off. I don't, I just can't believe this. You know, a bunch of idiots on the road. All the snowbirds in the world don't know where they're going. They want to cut across four lanes at one time, cause a big pile up. I can't stand this. You know, I wish they would all go back to Minnesota or Wisconsin or wherever they came from. You know, and, and, and sometimes, you know, they get that going on. And you know what? Listen. We might get so wrapped up in our angst about the fact that some snowbird cut us off that we stop to tell somebody that we think it's just benign, nobody cares what we're saying here, but you know what? We are ambassadors for Christ. Right? And when we open our mouths and we begin to vent, we are speaking in the behalf of Jesus. And the fact is, the Bible here says that we are to, with one mind, and that's the mind of Christ, and with one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I realize that this has more to do with our message than per se the way in which we say it, but I would have you to know that the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 15 that we are to speak the truth in Love And what that communicates to us is this, that the way we say things is often the determiner of how it's received. And it is at times even more important than what we say. How we say it. The other night, uh, Linda and I took Brother Keith and Cheryl uh, out to dinner. Many of you are not aware of it. Brother, Brother Keith Tisdall, who's here tonight, has been coming down to the church almost daily and, and volunteering his efforts to be a blessing. He's painted, he's installed lights, he's cleaned things. I mean, he's done all kinds of things to be a blessing to the work of the Lord, and he's on vacation. How many of you go on vacation to volunteer at a church? Do you know what I'm saying? That's what he's doing. So, so um, Linda and I got talking about, we said, we need to take um, Keith and Cheryl out to dinner to show them appreciation. And, and so we took them to the Cheesecake Factory. That's a pretty nice appreciation place, amen? And uh, so uh, we, we, we went in. And you know, you expect in a, pl- a place that nice that you're going to get great service, right? Cordial, things like that. Well, it started out with me going in because there was a lot of people waiting outside and I just, I ambled in there, you know, and, uh, and I said, uh, what kind of weight am I looking at for a party of four? And they said, where's your mask? I said, oh, I'm sorry. I, I just left it sitting on the seat of the car. I can run and grab it. You have one you want me to put on right now? They said, no, you go put it on and then come back. <laughs> okay. And they said, you won't be seated without a mask. I'm like, so you're going to walk me from the door 20 feet to the table and then I get to take it off for three hours and breathe all over everything? And that's okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I was, getting, I was greeted by the mask Nazi at the, at the counter, you know, and, and then the waitress came in and, and, I, and I had short sleeves on and I put my, put my arms on the table in front of me. It was just like sticky and I'm thinking, 
Look, I expect this at Denny's, but not at the Cheesecake Factory. Do you know what I'm saying? If this happens at McDonald's, then you know what? I spit on the table and wipe it off with the napkin, and I'm good to go, but not at the Cheesecake Factory. No. So the lady comes over to bring our water, and, and I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I, I don't want to be a trouble to you, but it seems like there's something sticky on this table here. And do you suppose that, that um, someone could bring a cloth over and just wipe this, this table? Brother Keith was there, he knows. She was not taken really kindly to me saying that. She said, well, it's the sanitizing spray which we use. And, and it's very good, but it leaves a little film. And I'm like, well, it just feels a little sticky, that's all. You know, can you feel it? And she reached down and felt it. And she's like, well, I'll see if I can get somebody to come over here and clean it off. You know, and, I mean, it was like... You know, excuse me for living. I'm sorry that I disrupted your life by asking you to do your job. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and expecting me to tip you for it at 20 plus percent. You know what I'm saying? And uh, But, you know, I realized that, look, this woman was not operating under the awareness that she was an ambassador for Cheesecake Factory and that there may be people seated there that are there for the first time that are trying to decide whether or not they're ever going to return. And so look, I, I understand that I'm never going to get a second chance to make a, a first impression. And people that know that I'm a believer need to see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that I communicate. And so, look, we are called to glorify Him with the words that we speak. Now you know as I do, that words can hurt they can hurt. And sometimes we use words so carelessly without thinking about them. I'm sure that if I were to sit down with every one of you in this room, I'm 100% certain that if I sat down with every one of you and we began to talk about it, you could share with me memories in your lifetime of when someone spoke to you in a manner that was so hurtful and hateful that you thought you might never get over it. How many of you ever had that experience? Let me see your hand. Someone was so hurtful and hateful with their words you thought you might never get over it. It might have even been somebody that you loved and trusted that ought to have been kind to you. It might have even been a parent. Sometimes... Not saying anything is worse than saying something mean. Because what it says is I'm indifferent to you. And indifference is the first cousin of hatred. That level of antipathy says that, look, you're nonplus to me. I don't care whether you live or die. And I can't tell you how many people have told me that they routinely got the silent treatment from parents when they were in trouble. And sometimes we'd go weeks on end without hearing a single word from their parents. Sometimes, while speech can be hurtful, choosing to treat someone as though you're indifferent towards them can be equally as hurtful. But we're to with one mouth glorify the Lord. So look, the way in which we communicate says volumes about the message that we're sharing. And I remember the time 
years ago, I was knocking on doors with a, with a fellow that I was serving on a church staff with, and, and we had been roommates in college, and, and we were knocking doors in a very upscale neighborhood, and, and listen, we were equal opportunity soul winners. We'd go to the poor neighborhoods, we'd go to the rich neighborhoods, we'd just go to all of them. We just knocked on everybody's door because we just happened to believe that people need the Lord. You know, it doesn't matter how much money they make, if they can afford their dry cleaning bill or not. We just wanted to win, win everybody to Christ, and we decided that day... We're going to go down by the shoreline, and we're going to knock on doors in a nice section of town. And it was a little cooler there by the water, you know, than, than inland about five miles uh, where we had been knocking. So we, we did that. And, uh, and we started knocking doors in a very upscale area. And a lady answered the door, and my friend was there. And he said, uh, uh, we're from uh, First Baptist Church, and we're just coming through your neighborhood today, uh, giving invitations to folks to come and visit with us in our services. And uh, do you have a church home? She took it. She said, hmm. Handed it back to him. Said, I think you need to take this to the poor side of town. I think they need it a lot worse than we do. And he, and he said, well, ma'am, you know, everybody really needs the Lord. And she said, well, you can take your Lord and get off my property before I call the cops on you. Well, and she started going at him, saying, "You need to take that back over to the poor side of town. You bunch of you know trailer park trash, low life coming in here. You know what 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 thinks what makes you think you have the right and so forth." And and my friend stood there, and he was just getting worked up. I could see it, you know. And he said, "Ma'am, I'm just trying to tell you how that you can go to heaven and escape hell." And she said, "Listen, I've already told you take that message to the other side of town." And before he turned around without even thinking, he said, well then, just go to hell then. I'm like, whoa. Needless to say, she never visited. <laughs> right? But I was mortified. And I thought, you know, I hope none of the neighbors heard that. Because, you know, we probably ought to go to the other side of town now. Do you know what I'm saying? Because we've kind of messed up our opportunity to witness to the next door neighbor who heard that exchange while watering the plants, you know? And, and, and I'm just saying, look, the way that we speak and what we say, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. In other words, I am going to set a watch on my mouth, even as the psalmist said that he would. And I am not going to say anything that would be degrading, but rather edifying, which means my words are going to be used to build up. Now, I know that there are people that are saying... But, you know, sometimes I need to rebuke someone. I have kids that, you know, they, they're giving, giving me trouble. And, and you know, I, I'm not going to, you know, go lie. I'm not asking you to do that. But you know what I'm saying? You don't have to tell them they'll never amount to anything. You don't have to tell them that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree just like your father. And I can't stand him either. You don't have to tell them that they're a brat. Right? Words hurt and they stick. They cut like a knife and people don't forget. 
You don't have to raise your voice. And while you're raising your voice, you're lowering your stature to the level of a child. Did you hear me? While you're raising your voice, you're lowering your stature to the level of a child. And you're trying to discipline them for their incontinent spirit and always throwing a fit when they can't have their way, not being able to control their emotions about it. And what you're doing is exactly what you're trying to discipline them for. But I know, you're the boss, applesauce, and you're just doing what God's Word said. Listen, take it all in its entirety. Don't pick and choose like a smorgasbord and say that I'm, you know, if I spare the rod, I'm going to spoil the child. Well, you know what, listen, why don't you spare the sharp tongue? You're going to spoil everybody in your pathway. I, I'm, I'm just saying, I can remember one time coming under conviction of the Holy Spirit, not, and I was never one to really be a screamer. I, I've never been one to, to really you know, raise my voice unless the kids are about to get run over by a truck in the street or something. You know? And every once in a while, I show my displeasure. But you know what? I may raise my voice, but I am not going to degrade that person in their spirit. I'm not going to say things that they'll never forget. I can remember coming under conviction of the Holy Spirit and coming down and kneeling at an altar and writing it in a Bible and saying, before God, I'm making a commitment that I am not going to scream and yell at my loved ones. I'd like to say that I've never violated that commitment. I believe I can say that I've mostly not done it. But the fact remains that my Christianity is often evaluated by my family, by my children, my grandchildren, on the basis of what I say and how I say it. And sometimes that's a difference between them walking out the back door at 18 and never coming back in or not. And God wants us to glorify Him by edifying others having the mind of Christ. Now I know that there's always one in the crowd that wants to say, well, look at Jesus. And during, during that time, after He entered into the city and was hailed as the King of the Jews, as He began the week of His Passion, on that Monday He entered into the temple and began to teach the rulers of the Jews. And while there at the celebration of the Passover, He had the second cleansing of the temple. And there are many people that want to look to Jesus and say, well, looky there, Jesus got angry. And you know what He did? He took a whip. And he drove those money changers out. And so, you know what? Don't say anything about me losing my temper every once in a while because that's exactly what Jesus did and I'm just being like Christ. Yeah, I'm not sure your family feels that way. I'm not sure those that are in your pathway feel like that. The fact of the matter is, Jesus was not a reactor. He didn't react to situations he responded to them. And there is a vast difference between a reaction and a response. You know the difference? We could go down to the fire station and, uh, 
and we can say we're going to we're going to take the kids on a field trip. We're going to introduce them to Fireman Sam down at the firehouse. Are we going to say, hey kids, this is Fireman Sam. He's a first reactor. Is that what we're going to say? What is he? First what? Why don't we say reactor? Because when there's a fire, he gets called out. They re- react to the, the alarm, don't they? Well, no, not really in the simplest definition of the term. The other day I was at the doctor and he sat me on the, on the edge of the table and he took a little hammer and he hit my knee and you know what? I, I just about kicked him in the face. Do you know what that was? Reaction. Right? Then he put me on the table. He said, I'm going to give you an injection. This is going to hurt. Right? So when he did, you know what I did? I braced up. You know what that was? Response. You know why? I knew in advance and I was prepared for it. Jesus knew from before the foundation of the world what was going to happen at that place. And He was prepared for when it came. And what I'm telling you is that, you know what? You need to be prepared in your spirit for every eventuality. We call firemen and police officers and military personnel and EMTs and paramedics and all of those that fall within the pale of first responders, first responders because they have trained and trained and prepared and prepared for any eventuality. So when the bell rings and the siren goes, they're ready to respond, not react. Reactions will get us in trouble. Responses will get us to safety. So I believe that there are many in the household of faith that need to pray that prayer from Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And while someone is up in your face and standing on your last nerve and you have no place to go, so you must stay right there. Don't react with fight or flight reactions. Respond with spiritfulness because you have prepared your heart for any eventuality and you are praying in your spirit, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Sometime just for your personal edification, read the passage in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16-19 through 19, that enumerates there the six things that God hates, yea, seven of those things that God considers to be an abomination unto Him. And how many times that involves the improper use of the tongue. Now, I, I've probably said all I need to say about this, but the fact of the matter is that we are called... To let our speech in Colossians 4.6 to be always seasoned with grace so that we may know how we ought to answer every man. And grace is this. God in love 
treating us in a manner and after a fashion that's kinder, that's more loving, that's more forgiving than what any of us deserve. And the grace that we have received, we are called to impart. Especially so in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. And when we don't impart that grace, the Bible says we're failing of the grace of God. That means we have failed to show Christian grace. And grace by its definition means that. We're going to be kinder, nicer, gentler, and more loving than what our natural mind believes that person we're talking to deserves. So let your speech be always seasoned with grace that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. I wonder, really, if the people that are in your circle of influence, when they think of people that really minister grace with their words, with their speech, if you would rank towards the head of that list. If you don't, you ought to. We just need to make it our desire that, that the way we communicate will bring honor and glory to the Lord. And so, um, that's His will for us. Throughout all ages, world without end, amen, period. I don't know how else to put it to you. And so, let's glorify Him through our speech. Lord God, thank You for tonight. Thank You, Lord, for these precious ones who have come out tonight, no doubt, kind of getting back in the swing of things, no doubt, tired. No doubt, could have found a thousand reasons not to be here. No doubt, Lord, filled this slot of time with other things for a year, and now they're having to reallocate time for that. Thank You, Lord, that they did. Thank You, Lord, that they're here. Thank You, Lord, for their spirit. Bless them. Grant them safety as they travel to their homes. Lord, bless Freeway Baptist Church as we move forward in this week, as we on Friday will celebrate the death of our Savior who shed blood for us. And Lord, on to Easter as we rejoice in not just the empty tomb, but the risen living Lord. And this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus.